This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, reporter Greg LaRose with the Louisiana Illuminator breaks down a bunch of new laws that went into effect in the new year. And New Orleans multidisciplinary artist Jose Torres Tama opens his home studio for an artist talk and exhibit of his latest works. But first... In 2022, New Orleans voters approved a 20-year property tax to expand access to free early childhood education for low- and moderate-income families. Since then, the number of available seats has more than doubled. To learn more about expanded access for early childhood education, we are joined by Josie Abugaf, reporter for Verite News. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Can you take us back to 2022 and the passage of this property tax, how exactly does it support early childhood education access? Yeah, so in April 2022, New Orleans voters approved a 20-year property tax that, as you said, would expand access to free early childhood education seats for low and moderate income families. Um, and the annual $21 million generated by the tax is now going towards doing uh, exactly that. Um, and it's led to the doubling of more than doubling of free early childhood education seats for families across the city um, through a number of different state and local funding streams. And so far, what are the impacts we have seen in the number of children enrolled, the number of education programs available, and child health services? Yeah, so according to Agenda for Children, which is the nonprofit in charge of coordinating the citywide early childhood education efforts, the number of early childhood education seats um, went from 820 in the 2022-2023 school year to over 2,200 in this current school year. That's numbers as of December. And um, this increase has come from the funding from the property tax, um, as well as a couple other funding streams that the um, that Agenda for Children has been able to tap into through the um, property tax money. And all of this has um, paid for not only increasing the number of seats, but also um, more child health services, bonuses for workers, um, and expanding the number of child care facilities in town. And sort of separately, but the city is also working toward making it easier for child care centers to get permits so that there can be more centers and therefore serve more, more young children. One of the programs you zeroed in on in your story is City Seats. Tell us a bit about this organization and what it seeks to accomplish. Yeah, so uh, New Orleans City Seats is a local program that provides free child, um, free early childhood education to low-income families um, in the city. And the millage, um, as I said a bit earlier, has allowed for the expansion of this program. Um, and looking at City Seats numbers specifically, in the 2022-2023 school year, there were 200 children who's, who were funded through city seats, and now that number is um, over 1,000. Um, and so that sort of speaks to the um, impact that the property taxes had. You spoke to some early childhood education providers in Orleans Parish. What did they say about the impacts they've seen since the passage of the property tax, both impacts on their students and impacts in the New Orleans education system? 
Yeah, so for the story, um, I spoke to a few different um, providers in the city. Um, one of them, Lynette Rivers, who runs um, a center called Kids Kingdom in Mid-City, said that she's already seen the impact of the millage um, in terms of the numbers of students of her 40 um, students, 23 um, are funded through city seats. And as of this semester, um, she's expecting um, nine more and the other students that she um, serves all receive support from local or federal or statewide streams. So she's already seen that. And another thing that she really spoke to was um, the other health services that the millage has led to. So there's a partnership with Children's Hospital that includes a team of medical professionals to come and support students, families, and teachers. And um, Lynette Rivers said that this has really led to um, support for mental health services and ensuring that teachers and parents feel supported and equipped to um, deal with some of the mental health challenges that might arise among the students. Josie Abugav is a reporter for Verite News. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Starting on January 1st, a slew of new laws took effect in Louisiana concerning things like gender-affirming care, fertility preservation, and traffic stops, to name a few. Here to break down these laws and tell us which are most likely to impact residents is Greg LaRose, reporter for the Louisiana Illuminator. Thanks for being here. Pleasure to be with you. The most publicized new state law is a ban against gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Can you tell us a bit more about this law and how it compares to similar laws in other states? Yeah, it's it's pretty much uh, similar to what other states have passed. I want to say we're getting close to about 20 states that have a prohibition against any care that affirms gender transition for minors, whether that be hormone therapy all the way up to uh, a reconstructive gender affirming uh, surgery. Uh, And what we've seen in other states is that uh, lawsuits have been filed uh, and while they're unfolding, courts have put enforcement of those laws on hold. Uh, So uh, parents, families with transgender children are are sort of in this limbo right now waiting for those court cases to play out. Are there any loopholes for trans youth seeking this care, like maybe going out of state? Yeah, that's an option that we're seeing in other states families explore. Uh, Here in Louisiana, uh, incoming Governor Jeff Landry has made attempts to track such transportation uh, to the point where if you were to bring your child uh, to a neighboring state or anywhere in the country, there would be a requirement that you'd report that. Uh, That hasn't really gained much traction, uh, but I think it does sort of show uh, where the incoming administration and uh, the legislature that Uh, approved this law and overrode Governor John Bell Edwards' veto, Uh, I think he'd have um, a willing audience should he want to propose some sort of legislation uh, that would put that reporting requirement in place. 
Another new law will require more health insurance plans to cover fertility preservation for cancer patients and others undergoing medical treatments. Tell us more about this law. Will it also require coverage for in vitro fertilization? No, it won't. Uh, And that was an exception that got carved out of that bill because there was opposition from the Catholic Church and conservative Christian groups uh, when the law was approved in 2022. It just goes into effect this year. Uh, As you said, this would apply to cancer patients uh, or anyone else that's undergoing a medical procedure or treatment that would render them unable to conceive a child. Uh, It would pay for things such as uh, egg and sperm extraction and storage for up to three years. Uh, There's also an exemption that would allow churches or a church-run school or organization to seek an exemption to the coverage if the fertility preservation conflicts with their religious beliefs. I know there is another new law to require state police departments to track and report traffic stops data. Tell us about why this law was enacted and what the goal of it is. There's already a law in place that requires police departments around the state to report this information on traffic stops with the idea that it would curb instances of racial profiling. Um, There's an exception that if a police department has an anti-profiling policy in place, they don't have to report. And that really only applies to New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Uh, The new law basically says that state police cannot be given this exception, even if they do adopt an anti-profiling policy. And it it really got spurred when the news of the death of Ronald Green was brought to light in 2022. Of course, the black motorist who died in state police custody, uh, white troopers are still Uh, facing potential criminal consequences from that case. And and this was, again, just sort of that measure that even if uh, state police righted its ship in regards to uh, all of the racial concerns with its policy and practice, that this exception in state law would not apply to that agency. There's another new law meant to support juvenile crime victims. Can you walk us through this one? So this law basically lets victims or their families access juvenile court proceedings, and those are currently kept confidential. Uh, Representative Stephanie Hilferty from New Orleans uh, applied the new law to crimes of violence uh, and any subsequent felony offenses. Uh, The courts that that are able to can provide that access to the family and victims uh, through video if it's available. Uh, The real concern among critics of this legislation uh, is that word of mouth from a criminal proceeding could leak out and lead to retaliations. And it could potentially lead, I, I think we're going to see with the new legislature and the new governor, maybe an increased attempt to remove the veil of uh, confidentiality from juvenile court proceedings. And let's go over the last three, sales tax filing, 
pet insurance, and offshore safety. Yeah, sure. So this has been a long-going effort uh, to create a centralized sales tax collection apparatus at the state government level. Currently, uh, just about every parish has a process in place for collecting sales taxes and remitting them to the state. Uh, the new law sort of removes the middleman. This is just for sales taxes, though. So if your sheriff or whomever is collecting property taxes, that function will still exist. Uh, but there's been this pro-business push to simplify things in regards to sales taxers, taxes and uh, the retail entities that file them. All right, pet insurance. So there's a new law that basically sets up the pet insurance industry. Uh, the carriers will have to provide lots of detailed information about their policies, what they offer, what's covered. Uh, will your coverage premium increase if uh, the policyholder has a claim history or the pet's particularly old? Uh, pretty much like real human insurance of sorts. And, and finally, there's a safety measure for the offshore oil and gas industry. Uh, what it will require is that for any helicopter that's transporting workers offshore, uh, the workers uh, will have, well, anyone in the helicopter will have to wear a life vest that's outfitted with a personal locator beacons. And tragically, there have been instances where there have been accidents in the Gulf of Mexico uh, made all the more difficult when uh, rescue crews are unable to find people who've uh, you know gone into the water. And the whole idea obviously is to improve the odds for you know any such instance where the, the locator beacons would, would help rescue personnel find uh, those folks. Now that we've gone through them all, which of these laws do you see as having the biggest impact on Louisianans and why? I think the change that's going to resonate the most is the lifting of the confidentiality veil in juvenile court settings. Uh, I would expect that the legislature is going to uh, return to measures that one, um, raise the age um, to where 17-year-olds uh, will be tried as adults more frequently uh, and, and put through the adult criminal justice system. I think you'll see moves for increased information from juvenile courts uh, in, in a bulk of its proceedings and not just you know, making that information available to victims and family, but to the public in general. Greg LaRose is a reporter for the Louisiana Illuminator. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me on. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack.
Award-winning New Orleans interdisciplinary artist Jose Torres Thomas' new series of photo assemblages titled Documenting the Undocumented, being held in conjunction with the 18th Annual Photo NOLA Festival of Photography, is in final days. Torres Thomas will open his home studio for an artist talk and closing event this weekend. The works on display by the Ecuadorian-born artist focuses on Latin American immigrant workers and their many contributions to the rebirth of New Orleans post-hurricanes Katrina and Ida. Jose Torres Tama joins us now. Welcome to the program. I am grateful to be here and Happy New Year to you and everybody else. And the same to you, Jose. This is a project you have been working on for quite some time and the subject matter has also been addressed by you in several disciplines, solo stage performances, poetry, and portraits to list a few. Tell us about this series of photo assemblages and the new images you have captured with your lens. How are you moving this project forward? So I had a pretty harrowing uh, experience in escaping, you know, the storm. I was here through Hurricane Katrina and we got out on a stone school bus three days after levees breached. And I came back, I had the audacity to come back a month later. We were able to get back into the city. And much to my surprise, there were hundreds and hundreds of immigrant workers all over the place on rooftops, at construction sites, everywhere, you know, basically contributing to the reconstruction. I had never experienced anything like that. So I just began speaking to many of them. You know, they're speaking Spanish to me. And some of them were immediately letting me know that the conditions that they were working under were not as agreeable as what they had been promised. So as I was documenting these stories and I didn't have any cameras with me, I would just speak to them. And then I'd go to a cafe and I began writing things down from what they would say, simply because I also began right around um, February of 2006, contributing to Latino USA NPR's commentaries. And many of them, those commentaries I wrote, I recorded there at WWNO. But as I began developing relationships with some of them, specifically the Congress of Day Labors, the organizations, I began interviewing and then hearing from them when they were having their public protest. So I would just bring my camera out there to document because part of the work that I do is chronicle. And as myself as an Ecuadorian immigrant, I've been chronicling the stories of uh, many of the workers who have reconstructed this city. I mean, we saw post-Ida, you know, Latin American crews everywhere on rooftops. So it's been my sort of civil duty to chronicle a people that are often forgotten in terms of the rebuilding and epic rebirth of New Orleans post-Katrina. Let's talk about some of the images that will be on display in your home art studio. How do you make the stories of these workers come to life? Well, I use the photographs as a point of departure, and I began figuratively, you know, developing the large drawings, the works on paper, The photographs really help me in terms of framing the compositions of the work I've done, and I've placed them inside these shadow box drawers, which are actually drawers that I rescued post-storm from getting destroyed, uh, chest of drawers, right? And they create these fabulous shadow boxes. I place the photos in there. And in Spanish, in Mexican culture, you call those retablos. They're like remembering people, you know, people who have passed. So the photographs that I capture of the public demonstrations, I place them inside these actual drawers that I've saved. I invert them so instead of carrying things or holding things inside a chest of drawers, I 
turned them around and I placed the photographs inside. Now, what I do is often I've spray painted the drawers to change them, to give them a little bit of a fine arts um, feeling to them. And then I place the photographs inside. So the black and white photographs or the one color photograph that's in there, I also give it a, a very unique perspective by um, drilling into the photograph and then putting in a secondhand clock mechanism from the back. So when you see it, you'll see a second hand that's moving around, battery operated. And the symbol for that to me is the fact that our people are living in the shadows every every second of every minute, right? And they're contributing, but they have to be very cautious because there's a saying within the community that the time is up, that their time here is up, that they've been sequestered or caught by immigration, and now their time is, you know, is finished in terms of uh, the undocumented status. But the second hand also metaphorically speaks to the fact that our people's beating hearts are working under the shadow, in addition to the fact that they're hiding in the shadows, working and yet contributing and, contributing and publicly ubiquitous everywhere. And from there, I use the photographs to make the leap to create the large figurative drawings. And they're expressionistic, and I choose dramatic pieces from all the photographs. For example, on view will be one that's inspired by a family that's protesting, and it's portraits of them, and they have a sign with someone's name who has disappeared because also one of the most dramatic aspects of what went on. And th there's so many things that uh, people are not aware of, but... When some undocumented people get picked up, they get thrown over to New Orleans Police Department, and then they get sent over to ICE, and sometimes they would get lost in the system. So my way of documenting the undocumented is a tribute to folks who have been living in the shadows, yet contributing greatly to our rebirth. So as such, people will see some dramatic images, photographs that inspired uh, the larger works that will be on view. Jose, what is your overall goal in telling and documenting these stories? It's a way for me to honor the hundreds uh, and hundreds of immigrant workers who have aided the Reconstruction and contributed to our epic rebirth post-Katrina, in addition to the fact that this is what inspires me to create the artwork that puts them and places them in, in galleries and, you know, in terms of the large portraitures I make from the photographs. I'm looking to elevate our people that have contributed to reconstruction and also offer a view to the audience that, hey, this is still happening. Reconstruction is still going on. There's still people out there. I just happen to focus my lens on the Latin American worker and try to inspire large stories based on those photographs. Award-winning New Orleans interdisciplinary artist Jose Torres Tama Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Diane. Jose Torres Tama is opening his home art studio, Arte Futuro Productions, 1329 St. Rock Avenue, three blocks off St. Claude, for a closing event and artist talk on Saturday, January 13th from 5 until 9 p.m. The artist talk is at 7 p.m. More info is available at torrestama.com. That's T-O-R-R-E-S-T-A-M-A dot -E com.
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, reporter for Verite, Josie Abugov, reporter for the Louisiana Illuminator, Greg LaRose, and multidisciplinary artist, Jose Torres Tava. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.